Well, if you guys will open your Bibles, if you have one, to John. We're going to be um, jumping around a lot tonight. If you're new to the church, I want to reassure you that one of the things, or, or what we normally do, is kind of stay with the book of the Bible and work through it chapter by chapter. And we're going to return to that next week. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to call that series Follow as we challenge ourselves to follow Christ and try to understand what that looked like for those first disciples who were challenged to follow Him. And so we'll be starting that next week. Today I want to do one more week of a topical study. So we'll be jumping around in a lot of different uh, verses, but we'll start on page 903 in the Black Bibles, which is John chapter 16. And the name of the sermon today is Tragedy. Uh, As it's the 10th anniversary of September 11th, I wanted us to think uh, about that. I wanted us to try to deal biblically with tragedy uh, and suffering and and how do we we wrap our minds around that? How do we deal with that uh, with our hearts uh, in this world that we live in? A couple of things I want to say first, though, is um, if you're like me, you you probably remember where you were when when September 11th, when all these things happened. Um, For me, I was in seminary in St. Louis. And I was just heading to a class. We had a newborn baby. My, my youngest child had just been born uh, about a week before that. Um, and so we're there. I'm walking to class, and people are actually all huddled around a TV in our student lounge before I got to my class, which is very unusual because I'd never even seen that TV before. You know, we just didn't ever watch TV. We usually sat around and read books, and it was just some place you would pass between classes. And so I watched the events unfold on the TV. Wanted immediately to, to be with my family, right? So kind of just went back to my family. We actually lived on campus in an apartment there. So I went back and checked on them. They were okay. Uh, my mother-in-law was there helping us with the new baby. And my sister-in-law was about to come in three days to visit the new baby from New York. And so immediately we were trying to make sure she was okay. We were able to get an email from her. She was all right. She was watching these events unfold across the river from her apartment Um, and so if you're like me you remember that moment and then the next moment was was really strange because then I decided well I guess I'll go ahead and go to class now so I walked into class late and I'm sitting in the back of the room realizing that none of these people in this class know what just happened I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of situation. Um, Sometimes you can be going through a really hard thing personally, and you can be sitting in a room like this, right? Like a church. And you can be thinking, none of these people have any idea what's going on, right? None of these people know what I'm going through. And so I just want to... I want to communicate to some of you guys. Tonight, we're going to be talking about tragedy and going through hard things. And for some of you, you're in the middle of a tragedy right now. Like you're in the middle of going through something horrible. And you're thinking, nobody in this room knows what I'm going through. And you're, you're feeling that lonely feeling that I felt in the back of that classroom that day. And I just want to let you know that you've been prayed for today. That I'm about to pray for you again. And that we're hoping and praying that God's Spirit will comfort you in this time. As we look at the Scripture, sometimes that can feel cold and distant when you're actually in the middle of the hurt. And so I just want to reassure you that, that uh, we are praying for you, that we care for you, that I understand what that feels like. Um, the other thing I want to say is, is for some of you, you're a part of the global war on terror, right? Um, you have been fighting this injustice 
uh, that started 10 years ago, really started before then, right? But the war really kicked off 10 years ago. And, and what I want to address today is not really war. Um, I'm not going to really be talking about that. I'm really going to be talking about as Christians individually, how do we respond to evil in the world? But I do want to say that, that I believe that Romans 13 affirms that God gives, God ordains the state to wield the power of the sword to execute justice. And I believe simultaneously as Christians we can say the church is about extending grace and proclaiming forgiveness through Jesus, but it's also the state's job to execute justice. And I know some of you live in that tension. And again, I understand that tension that you live in. We're not going to really be talking about your job executing justice, but I also want to affirm that calling that God has put on your life. So I want to look at John 16.33. To give us kind of a bird's eye view of what God's doing in a hurting, tragic, broken world. Jesus is about to die. And in John 16.33, Jesus is giving final instructions to his disciples. And he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, which is trouble, suffering, tragedy. Right? saying, in this world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That, that's, that's the bottom line for us, right? We will go through terrible things in this life. But Jesus promises that he has overcome the world. And that that is our hope. And we are to take heart, we are to take courage, we are to be uh, encouraged by Jesus. Not that we're not going to go through hard things, not that we're not going to suffer. We will suffer. This is a broken world. It is a world of tragedy. But Jesus is reversing the effects of that tragedy. God is saving the world. He is redeeming us. And He's turning all of this around. And that's the hope that we have. And that's what we're going to try to unpack tonight. Let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll look at some other scriptures as well. God, we, uh, we pray that You would comfort us tonight. I pray especially for those that are hurting, God, that are in the midst of personal tragedies that that maybe the rest of us don't know about. Or maybe we know, but we just can't relate. God, I pray that you would comfort them, that they would know you as their, their God, as their shepherd, as their good Father that loves them, as their encourager. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us, really all of us, God, that we would be encouraged by your word, that we would um, understand what you're doing, even as we don't understand all the details. God, we can see some big things that, that are at work. We see, we see some big things that you're doing. And we thank you and pray that you would change us as you're changing the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, a lot of you have probably seen a lot of the stuff on TV this week about September 11th and the 10th anniversary. I've been reading a magazine that we take called World Magazine. I recommend it to you if uh, you're looking for something that's a it's kind of like a Newsweek or a time but from a Christian worldview and, and not that kind of like uh, second class, you know, Christian comparison sometimes you see in media, right? But this is actually very well done, uh, so I recommend it to you. And I was, I was reading through, and one of the stories about 9-11 that they were sharing was from the perspective of Melanie Kirkpatrick. And she was a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. And back then, the Wall Street Journal offices were just a few hundred yards from the Twin Towers. And so she was riding a subway to work that day, and... The uh, driver seemed a little confused and said, we're not going to be able to make it all the way to the World Trade Center stop. There's something wrong. We can't get to that station. So all of you are going to have to get out at the station, you know, one stop back. 
And so she's, you know, then nobody really knows what's going on at that point. They all have to get off a stop early and start walking several blocks uh, towards their offices. She said as she's walking, she saw a lot of heads looking up, which if, if you've been in New York City much, we have, we have family there, people don't look up in New York unless they're tourists, right? Um, and everybody looks down. So she knew something was up, everybody's looking up. And she heard someone said, it can't be right, but I think I saw a plane fly into the World Trade Center. And someone else said, may God have mercy on their souls. She said at that point, people are trying to use their phones and their Blackberries and, and all of that is starting to break down. None of those are working. So people began to gather around cars so they could listen to the radios to get some kind of communication to try to find out what's happening. She kept walking. She said she was still trying to get over to her offices. And she noticed something else strange that never happens in New York City. She noticed people praying out loud. She said as she got closer, she saw people praying out loud on the street. And then there was another just gasp from everyone on the street. And people looked up again and she watched as the second tower then collapsed. And then her offices were destroyed when the second tower collapsed. She was never able to go to her office again. She kept walking. Police wouldn't let her get close to the office at that point. And as she continued to walk, she said the theme of what she noticed was really strange. She just kept seeing churches open their doors and invite people in to pray. She saw priests and pastors coming out and talking to people and inviting people in to pray. And she saw again and again people in New York City just praying out loud. She said in the article, countless people she saw with heads bowed and their lips moving. And so obviously, something good came out of this horrible tragedy. We see all these people that never prayed, that never looked up, now praying and calling out to God. But I, I want to be careful because I think one of the mistakes that we make as Christians when something bad happens is we try to rush in and say, we know the good thing that's going to come out of this, right? Um, I remember when we had a fire in our house, that was actually one of the most annoying things that people did. I don't know if you've ever suffered, if you've ever gone through something hard. Uh, when Christians come along and say, oh, well, here's the blessings, let me count them for you. You know, that, you're like, That's, I'm not really ready to go there yet, right? Um, it's, not, it's not a real good practice as Christians that you just kind of rush in and try to greet people with, well, God's doing this good thing and that good thing and, you know... The scripture tells us we should weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And we should be careful as Christians to make sure when a tragedy happens to recognize it as a tragedy. So I don't want to jump to saying, well, here's the great, all the great stuff that happened through 9-11. But I, I do want to say that the scripture again and again says that, that God does do good in and around and through tragic situations. That God is a God who is turning tragedy to make good things happen in this world. And that we live basically in a broken world, but the promise is that Jesus is overcoming it. That's what we see in John 16.33. In this world you will have trouble. It is a guarantee. But Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. That's our, that's our promise. So the first thing I want us to look at, the first good thing that Jesus can begin to work through a tragedy, is that a tragedy can display or show our faith. A tragedy can show our faith. It can kind of draw up this faith that maybe hasn't been seen before, hasn't been clear before. If you'll turn to James 1, this is a famous passage many of you have probably heard before. It's on page 1011 in the Black Bibles.
James 1, 2 through 4, or 2 through 5. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And so he says, Brothers, when you face difficulty, when you face tragedy, when when hard things come, you can count all of those situations as joy. Now, this is kind of offensive, right? I mean, it sounds kind of strange, and I want to try to clear up some of this. I think the NIV translation is even stranger to our ears, because the NIV translation says, consider it pure joy. And, And it's almost like he's saying, consider good things bad and bad things good, right? And again, I want to say it's right and good to say tragedy is tragedy. Say something painful is painful. To grieve when you lose someone you love, right? To cry when you're in pain. That is right and good. What he's saying is consider it joy that when a difficulty arises that allows you to cling more tightly to the faith that you have. The ultimate faith that you have in Jesus overcoming the world. He's saying that this gives you an opportunity to, to hold on to Him. Oftentimes, when tragedy comes, it, it kind of wipes away all the other things we've been holding on to. It kind of takes away all the things we were clinging to before and shows that, that all we have left is Jesus. I think what he's saying when he says, all joy is not an emphasis on what kind of joy. You should just be ecstatically happy every time a bad thing happen, happens. But that every situation, every bad thing, all those situations are an opportunity for joy as you cling to Jesus in the midst of difficulty. And this word, steadfastness, I think is a beautiful word. He says, you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete. Perfect doesn't mean without fault. Perfect just means complete. It means that you would come to the maturity that God has in mind for you. And steadfastness is this Greek word that is hupomeno, and basically it means to, to stand your ground. Hupomeno is, a, is kind of a battle term, and it means to dig in. Uh, it means to, to dig in deeply and to stand your ground. I've been coaching Little League football, and so I have a picture here of hupomeno, okay? Hupomeno is what your cleats help you to do, right? And the Roman soldiers of the first century, they wore cleats as well. I don't know if you're familiar with the... the armor and stuff that they would wear, but they would have spiked sandals. They would wear cleats, right? Spikes, so that they could dig in and stand their ground. And that's what he's saying happens when a difficulty comes into our life. Now the problem is uh, we interpret this in a very self-centered way, right? And we start to think that that means I am tough and I'm going to stand my ground, right? But steadfastness in context here is saying that it's your faith that's being displayed, right? It's your faith that's being revealed. And so you are hupomeno, you are standing your ground, you are digging in to Christ. You are clinging more tightly to Him. He is the turf that you're digging into. I've been coaching this week and, and there's no grass left in our practice field. We just had our first game 
And so the, the kids were kind of freaked out because they could actually dig their cleats into grass. They'd been, we'd been practicing on like moon dust for the last few weeks. It's like two inches of just solid dust, no grass at all. It's like planing sock feet, right? Kids are just sliding around everywhere. But now they have something to dig into. They had their first game and they had grass that their cleats actually stuck into. What, what James is saying here is that you have something to steadfastly hold onto, okay? And it's Jesus. He is the object of our faith. He's what we dig into. He's the thing that we hold on to. The way Hebrews talks about it is hold fast to the confession of your faith. Cling more tightly to Jesus. When you are going through tragedy, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to hold on to Him for dear life. If you remember when, when Jesus asked the disciples, well, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, where else would we go? Where else are we going to go? You're the only thing that we have to hold on to. I want to encourage you when difficulty comes, when tragedy comes in your life, again, don't rush in to explain, well, here's all the great things God's doing in this. No, just cling more tightly to Jesus. It's okay to say, Jesus, I don't know why this is happening. I don't understand what's going on, but I'm going to dig in to you and I'm going to trust you. John Stott is, is one of the great theologians of our generation, just passed away recently, a, a British pastor and, and author. And John Stott said, I would not believe in God at all if it weren't for the cross. If it weren't for the cross, I wouldn't even believe in God. Which is opposite from how most of us operate, right? Like we kind of, a lot of times you have people say, well, I believe in God, but I'm not so sure about Jesus. John Stott says, forget God. If there was no Jesus, if there was no cross, I wouldn't believe in Him at all. And, and that's what we see. In, in difficulty, that's our only hope. That we have a God that enters in, Right? A couple of weeks ago, we had the memory verse, right, that, that he's able to sympathize with us, and that he's suffered as we have, that he's, that he's walked in this world, and he's been through the tragedy that we've been through. That is the God that we serve. He's not removed and doesn't know what's going on. He has entered into this world. He's taken on flesh, and he's entered the tragedy with us. When, when tragedy comes in your life, cling more tightly to Jesus. The, the next thing that we see is that tragedy deploys us to comfort others. Tragedy is an opportunity to, to send us out. Sometimes it's what spurs us on to bring comfort to others. A great example of this is the early Christians in the book of Acts. Um, they just kind of hung out in Jerusalem until the persecution come, came. When the persecution came, that drove them out of Jerusalem. They began to share with other people. They began to spread this gospel that God had already told them to take to the ends of the earth, but they didn't really take it there until persecution came and it drove them out. Many of you have known how tragedy has deployed you to serve others. To bring not only justice, but also mercy as you've served others overseas. Well, tragedy deploys us to comfort others as well. 2 Corinthians is a great example of this. It's page 964 in the Black Bibles if you want to turn there. 2 Corinthians is Paul's uh, philosophy of ministry book. Now, a lot of the people in Corinth, uh, Corinth was a big city, lots of sin. It would have been like a New York City or like a San Francisco or something of our day. And, and what they really wanted was they really wanted Paul to be slick. They really wanted Paul to be very impressive. And, you know, Paul again and again is saying, no, it's just, it's just Christ crucified. That's really all I've got to offer you. I, I can't offer you some kind of slick marketing. I'm sorry, I, I, don't, you know, I don't read the advertising magazines. I'm just, I'm just giving you Jesus. 
And so in 2 Corinthians, you get this philosophy of ministry. And what Paul is communicating in this is that part of his gospel is broken people sharing our hope in the sufficiency of Jesus. We're not calling people to, to follow us, right? We're calling people to follow Jesus. And Paul explains that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 2 through 7. It says, Blessed be the... And oh yeah, and you've got homework here. Okay, listen as I read this. Listen for the theme, okay? There's a theme word for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So what's the number one word there? Anybody? Comfort? Yeah, number two, there was a close second. Suffering. Yeah, yeah. So this, I mean, this is... A long expansion of what Jesus said, right? In this world, you're going to have suffering, but take heart. I've come to comfort you, comfort the world, right? In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Paul says, in this world, you're going to suffer, and God's going to comfort us. And as God comforts us, then it's our job to share that comfort with other people. As you suffer, as you experience tragedy, part of what God is doing in your life as He's teaching you and allowing you to be comforted by friends, by other believers, by community, by Jesus Himself, and equipping you to share that comfort with other people. A great illustration from, from uh, I guess, biology, I don't know what you call this, is a, is a pearl. Um, some of you know how a pearl is formed, right? It's, it's an irritant, it's a uh, bad thing that comes into the oyster's life. And the oyster begins to smooth it over. It begins to, to make it more comfortable, right? Starts to smooth it over, put the pearly stuff, whatever that's called, over whatever that piece of sand or grit or rock is that's entered in. And he coats it and he coats it and that's how a pearl is formed. Something beautiful results from this pain in the oyster's life. Celebrate Recovery has a phrase and they say that God never wastes a hurt, right? And again, I know this, this can sound uh, painful and it can sound kind of removed if you're in the middle of a hurt right now. But again, it is a, is a promise that God can redeem and restore the pain that you've gone through and then allow you to share that comfort with other people. As God comforts you, then your job is to comfort others. He's deploying you to bring that comfort to other people. The ultimate comfort that we have is the gospel. The ultimate comfort that we have is the hope that we have in Jesus, right? Because the ultimate suffering that we have is our own sin, is our own selfishness. And so that's the ultimate comfort that we have to share. But God also repeatedly throughout the New Testament commands us to bring grace and encouragement and love to those around us. We are to live in community with each other. And the Apostle says we are to weep with those who weep and we are to mourn with those who mourn. And so I really want to encourage you. Uh, one, of the, one of the difficulties that we have in our culture, 
uh, being a very Bible-oriented Christian tradition is that sometimes we lead with truth. And, and we lead with theology, right? And so someone is crying, and we just we get our 50-pound study Bible and just kind of throw it at them, right? And, and I would encourage you, that's, that's really not the way to lead in comfort, okay? Truth is important. I mean, that's why we're talking about it tonight. The truth matters. But we need to lead by, by comforting people through weeping with those who weep and mourning with those who mourn. I want to encourage you that there will be opportunities to share the truth with those you love. There will be a time when they will ask questions. There will be a time when, uh, when there's a season to discuss the Word and what God's doing through all these difficulties. But in the moment, your friends need somebody to, to cry with them, right? And to be with them. Uh, as a pastor, I have this opportunity to comfort people. And I think people have this idea that, that as a pastor I have this special training, right? I know the magic words to say when someone's in a difficult situation. Um, those of you who have grieved and have been through difficult things, you can share with the others that, no, he really doesn't know what to say, right? I mean, I don't have any special words, right? You just you tell people you're sorry, you know? I love you. I'm, I'm sorry. Can I do anything? And can I be with you? Can I help you? You know that that's how we comfort each other. You you, you bring a meal. You you sit with someone. You hold their hand. You pray for them. You cry with them. So I just really want to encourage you that it's that it's not uh, that mystical, but it's something that God calls all of us to do. Something that God calls all of us to do is as community. One of the reasons that we continue to beat the drum at this church, that we want you to be involved in, in smaller groups and in classes and in, in uh, closer relationships, is because we need this kind of comfort in our life. Because it is a broken world. Because it is a difficult world. And one of the ways that we uh, help each other through this life is we actually get to know each other. We don't just come and, and listen and come and sing but we also share life together. So I really want to encourage you to continue to take those steps, following Jesus in discipleship by, by getting on mission with other people, by partnering with other people in, in fellowship and sharing life together. Well, the last thing I want us to look at is that tragedy reminds us of judgment. <clears throat> this is the most difficult or most complex one, I believe. Um, tragedy reminds us not of a specific judgment, Tragedy reminds us of the entire world being under judgment. The, the biblical story is that the whole world is a world that's been plunged into death because of sin, right? The sin of our, our first parents, you might say, Adam and Eve. God said, you will have life if you walk with me, and there will be death if you turn away from me. And we've all kind of followed in their footsteps. We've all turned away, and we all live in a world of death and brokenness. And what's really dangerous and what's frustrating is when a tragedy like 9-11 happens and, and some preacher rushes in to say, I know what they're being judged for, right? They're being judged for this sin, you know, because New York City, they're bad people there. And, and that's what's happening. Or when an earthquake comes in San Francisco, you know, oh, there's bad stuff and this is what's happening. And preachers rush in to try to explain the details of that. And I want to say that that there are times when God specifically judges peoples and nations like that in the Old Testament. But, but generally, the, the greatest way that God judges people is in Romans 1. It says the wrath of God is revealed and that God gives people over to what they want. I mean, go, go read Romans 1. It is, it is scary. God says he, he gives people what they want. That's ultimate judgment. That's 
really the scariest judgment. And so when we see a tragedy like this happen, I think what we need to understand is it's just a reflection that this is a tragic world. That we all live in this tragedy, this mega tragedy of this world that we live in, this world that is under a sentence of death. And we need relief, we need redemption, we need salvation, both personally and cosmically, right? I want to read a passage that addresses this. On page 872 in our Black Bibles, it's Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, this is an echo of another discussion that Jesus has like this. You'll remember another story like this. Um, another story where people are testing Jesus. They bring a guy that's been born blind. And they say, this guy is, is crippled, so who's responsible? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, neither one. He says, this is all about me having an opportunity to heal him. It's not about his sin or their sin. You're not getting it, Right? And so that makes us take pause and say, we don't want to assign specific uh, judgment to some specific act and say, God's doing this, right? It's, it's just a tragic world that we live in and we need Jesus' healing. He reiterates this in Luke 13. You'll read with me Luke 13.1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Remember, Pilate was the one that killed Jesus, so he's the Roman governor, so he's this pagan governor, and apparently he had killed some of God's people, some of the Galileans, some of the Jews. And Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Again, this was this problem that the Pharisees had. They thought that when bad things happened, that was a sign that God was especially mad at those people. And Jesus is trying to say, we're all broken people, right? This is a bad world that's plunged into brokenness. And we all need salvation. He says it this way. Verse 3. No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He said, you're all heading towards death. That's the direction we're all heading towards, right? He says it a different way in verse 4. Those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We're, we're all headed to judgment. So, so when some bad thing happens, you don't have to go, oh, well, that's a specific judgment because uh, the other day that guy lied and so that's why God you know, threw the lightning bolt and blew up that building. No, the whole world is under judgment. We're all under judgment. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of that sin is death. But in contrast to that, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so we can walk through life under a wage system, saying that we want to earn our way. And he says, well, the wages of sin is death. Or we can walk under this grace system that says, I don't deserve it, but God is gracious. And I'm asking Him, because I lack wisdom. I'm seeing Him as generous. I'm seeing Him as good, that He will save me, that He will help me. And I'm going to live under that grace system. I have a picture here of uh, Paul Bearers carrying out a casket. As a pastor, I do funerals, right? And uh, before I became a pastor, I this was one of the things that I was kind of scared of, right? I was kind of scared of having to do funerals 
And I think that was because I was kind of a normal person, normal member of Generation X, you know. I think people my age and younger uh, didn't go to a lot of funerals as kids. I often find that uh, people ask me in funerals, like, is it okay to bring my kids to the funeral? And thinking, well, well, of course. But I think as a culture, we're kind of anti-funeral. We're anti-death. We're scared of it. We're terrified of it because we live in this youth cult, right? That just, we, we just want to not face the reality of death. We want to think, well, no, we're going to live forever. If I take the right vitamins and I work out enough, I'll just live forever and I'll never get sick. I'll never die. No, we're all dying, okay? I'm sorry to be the one, maybe the first one to tell you, but we're all dying. We're all under the sentence of death. And we, we try to avoid it in our culture, but that's, that's the reality. That's the tragedy that, that we live in. Some of us are dying more quickly than others, um, but that's where we're all headed, right? That's the direction that we're all going. And I think the response that Jesus is calling for, and I want to invite you towards, is to face that reality and to repent. Repentance is, is not the same thing as penance. Penance is when you like, you know, beat yourself or try to pay off your sin, right? Repentance is saying, I can't do it on my own. Repentance is literally a turn, a change. Giving up the wage system. I don't want to keep trying to earn it because earning it is just going to bring death. But I want to turn from that and ask God for forgiveness. And I know for some of you, you may have grown up in a Christian family and so you think you have a relationship with God just because you're in this country or because your parents went to this church or because you did something at Easter or did something at Christmas. But I want to tell you that we all live under this judgment, under this sentence of death. And the only hope, the only answer is this God who gave Himself for us, who died in our place. He became our substitute so that our sin judgment was put on Him and He was judged instead of us and His righteousness was given to us. Some of you need to accept that, need to trust in that personally for yourself. Not just think of it as an abstract idea, but come to hope in that so that you can dig in, right? So that you can steadfastly dig into Jesus is my only hope. He's the only thing I can rely on. He's the only one that's going to get me through this tragedy. Well, I want to end with the thought that the greatest tragedy in the world, the greatest tragedy in the universe, was that we murdered God. That the most perfect, most innocent man that ever lived was killed and was beaten. But that he did that on purpose. He, he gave himself over to that. He entered into the tragedy to redeem us from this tragedy that we've made ourselves. Because he loves us. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the, the promise of God. That he lived the tragedy to save us from our tragedy. And that's our hope. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you that you saved us from ourselves. God, I pray for everyone here tonight that even in the midst of our personal tragedies, Lord, we would be able to see the hope that we have in you. Like John Stott, we would find you believable because of the cross, because you're the God that gave himself for us. We thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.